0: Good morning, gentlemen. My name is John Elmore. I serve as the Men's Director of Recovery and Regeneration. That's Watermark's Christ-centered, biblically-based 12-step program. Meets here Monday nights, 6.30. Everybody's welcome. Uh, rough morning already. You never want to take the mic and follow Blake Holmes. And then secondly, uh, Crotty walked and told me that we don't have a musical guest this morning, no one leading us in worship, and I was hurt by that because he didn't ask me to do it in, in his place. But if I sang, you would be hurt by that as well. So. We're going to jump right into this. This past week, I went on vacation. I took a five or six day vacation and as people have I've gotten back and they've asked, so where did you go? I tell them and it's a polarizing thing. It's like uh, I, I either get a really horrific reaction of people just looking at me in, in disbelief and kind of shaking their head and... Uh, questions of why, and I can I can see the condemnation in their eyes. Or there's this familiarity, and people are excited, like, "Oh, really? Did you do this? Did you go there?" It's a it's a wide range of response, and they're very different from each other. Um, I went to Las Vegas. <laughs> see, see, some laugh, and then some looks of scorn. I can see your faces, and I feel them. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I have sworn off gambling because of uh, the way that I lived in the past. And so it's an odd thing for me to say that I went to Las Vegas. People are, they're confused by that. And they're even further confused by the fact that I went with a woman um, who is not the woman that I married five years ago. Which is even stranger and generated more, more laughter. I say that, I say that, and the reason why I, chose to go to Las Vegas with a woman that I didn't marry five years ago is because I am not who I was five years ago. Laura is not who she was five years ago. We are different people, and therefore, we can go to Las Vegas and Las Las Vegas not uh, come into us, so to say. Um, I can go into a place where it's celebrated of alcohol and strip clubs, drugs, the gambling um, that used to just suck me in and... uh, I'm free from it simply because I'm not who I was, not just five years ago and changed when Laura and I got married, but even from 10 years ago and something happened then that I'm gonna talk about today. And when I got back from my trip, my two and a half year old son uh, was different as well. In just a week's time, he was saying things that he previously hadn't said. He was he was responding differently. He had spent time with my parents, so he had some grandparent time. And uh, had changed. He'd grown as well. And so that was another reminder of this change that happens in life. You see, if my son, Hill, as a two and a half year old boy, in even just one year or two years, is still talking about the same things and doing the same things, it's a problem. So today we're gonna talk about change. We're gonna talk about responses, responding to Jesus specifically. And I wanna say to you this. If who you are is who you were one year ago, that's a problem. It's a huge problem, just one year. If you're the same as you were one year ago, it's a problem, let alone five years, 10 years ago. And I'll say it this way as well, if who you are today is who you will be in one year, that's a problem as well. The Christian life, spiritual life, should be up and to the right. There's gonna be valleys and dips There's gonna be times when we stumble. The righteous falls seven times and rises again. But we continue in this progression. It's continued growth. There is no neutral in the Christian life. To stand still is to regress. We're either progressing or regressing. There is no in between. So, and as Blake said, uh, we cannot change nationally unless we change individually. It begins with us, personally, and the church, and so goes the nation. So as we're reading today, we're going to be in Mark 14:53 through 1541, responding to Jesus. On this next slide, you're going to see six of the usual suspects from the uh, denial through crucifixion scene that we have in the Gospels. And the people that you see there, Caiaphas the high priest, Peter, one of his disciples. Barabbas, who was a murderer and Jewish rebel against the nation of Rome. You have a visiting Jew from North Africa, that's Simon of Cyrene. Jesus, the son of God. And then lastly, this centurion, a soldier by Rome. And what I'm gonna ask you to do as I describe each of these six people, in short, we're gonna do it briefly, is let this be a mirror to yourself. And as we look at these six individuals, that you would see, who is it that I am most like? As we describe them, this is a profile of six men and their responses, five of whom their response to Jesus and then Jesus, of course, himself. So the first one that we're gonna look at, Caiaphas. Caiaphas knew he had seen Jesus teaching. It says that the Pharisees were very familiar, the teachers of the law, the priests, Sadducees, they were all familiar with Jesus. Jerusalem at that point in time was a, a place where uh, you could not escape notice, especially one of Jesus' profile. So Caiaphas knew the truth that Jesus had told. He had seen what Jesus had been doing, had heard of those things, and yet was offended by him and rejected him. It says in Mark fourteen sixty three, the high priest tore his clothes it says, why then do we need any more witnesses? This is because, uh, he says, you have heard the blaspheme. This is because he says, um, are you the son of the blessed one? And he says two words, I am, I am. He equates himself with God, not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, as others today would say. And in hearing this, the high priest rejects him, tears his clothes, and is horrified by the truth that comes out of his mouth. And wants no part of him. And men, I'm I'm certain there's someone in this room that is uh, offended by the truth of Jesus. And is currently rejecting him. Or certainly someone in your life. And so we've got to consider what Jesus said, what he did. And then things that cause us to reject him. Which is for the priests, Pharisees, envy, the authority that Jesus had, love of money. So, the rejection of Christ. The next person that we're going to look at is Peter. Peter gets a a bad rap sometimes in the gospel. Uh, Today won't be an exception. He knew the truth of Jesus, he had seen the miracles of Jesus, he had even performed some of the miracles of Jesus as he sent them out two by two and gave them all power and authority to cast out demons, to heal, to raise the dead. Peter had been a part of this. And yet, when confronted by a servant girl, denies knowing him. He has said, "You were the Christ, the Son of God," and there among the other disciples and apostles. And yet, when in public, denies knowing him, creates disassociation from Jesus. And I would say, at this point in his life, had knowledge without change. He had not yet seen the res- resurrected Christ. I'm not throwing stones at Peter. I wouldn't have been there even warming myself by the fire. I would have fled. I wouldn't have been around. But uh, Peter there, when faced with association or disassociation, chooses to save his own skin. Uh, He wants to keep his faith life private. And so I think there's some of us in the room who have knowledge of Jesus. We have mental assent. We can agree with the facts. I lived with my life much of this way where I said, okay, yeah, fine, son of God, you know, crucified, died for the sins of the world, um, rose again, sure, whatever, I agree with that. And the problem is, is that the demons agree with that as well, and yet they don't have eternal life. They have eternal condemnation. Um, They are not followers of Jesus, they're not subject to him, and neither was I, as I just had the mental assent of facts. Facts don't equal salvation. As Blake actually has often said, Cub, knowledge, understanding, and belief. There's got to be this continuation. It can't just stop with knowledge and understanding. The demons, Satan himself has that. And there was disassociation. And so, I, and I think this happens to a lot of us, especially um, in light when politics raised to the forefront and you have polarizing issues that are being discussed in the workplace and with your neighbors and with family at Thanksgiving Uh, Where do you stand on abortion and gay marriage and all these things and faith and life and culture intersect and all of a sudden we like Peter with a servant girl all of a sudden want to uh, start to feel tempted to disassociate from Jesus and his word. Now we're to do so in a loving and winsome way but we disassociate and that's a problem. Just like Peter, do you see yourself in Peter in this way? The next slide in person that we're gonna look at, Barabbas. Barabbas, his life, and we read in another gospel, his name is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Bar, Abbas. Bar in Aramaic is son, Abbas, father. You've heard Jesus say, you know, he, or, or in Romans eight, he says, by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. They're, they're uh, portrayed as very similar individuals. Both rebels, one rebel spiritually, the other rebel of Rome, uh, both on condemnation, standing condemnation before Pilate. And here's what happens in this situation is you got Barabbas being condemned to death. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist against Rome. He was trying to revolt and overthrow the Roman Empire. He was leading a revolt. And yet, on this feast of Passover, there was this tradition to release a prisoner, Jesus is there with, with no reason for condemnation, no reason to be on trial, certainly for death. Barabbas is condemned to death, and uh, he says, who do you want me to release? Pilate does, and they cry for Barabbas, and Jesus is then crucified in his place. And so, men, that's, that's all of us. We can all say, I am Barabbas, I deserve death because of my rebellion and treason against God most high, the ruling sovereign authority of the land of my life, subject to him and yet I've rebelled against him all of my life and I deserve death. And then Christ takes Barabbas' place, our place, and says, I will die in his stead, in your stead, so that you may be released. There's no, Exchange there other than the life of Christ. Barabbas did nothing for him. In fact, church history is silent on Barabbas. This is the last time in written, recorded history we know anything about Barabbas. And the reason why I point that out is because I think that a lot of us, I know for me, until I was 30 years old, that's how I lived my life. I was like, wait, you're telling me that Jesus can die for my sins, raised from the dead, and I don't go to hell? I heard that at nine years old, and I was like, great, I'll take that. I don't, I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I'll receive Jesus as my savior. And then I continued living life how I wanted to live my life, and church history and my life was silent. There was no bearing of fruit. No one heard what this Barabbas was doing for Jesus. I'd simply been... Set free, and and frankly, I don't even know if I had been or if I just thought I had. But I'd been uh, what I thought freed by Christ, and then nothing for him, did not walk with him, did not worship him. I was gone. There was no fruit. If there's not fruit that comes from your faith, you may not have saving faith. True faith bears true fruit. Now, fruit trees go through seasons. So you can't look at someone or yourself in an instantaneous time. But if over the course of seasons there is not fruit, you should question whether you have saving faith or if you're like Peter that maybe just had mental assent or knowledge at this time. Don't be like Barabbas. Well, be like him in letting him take your place. Do not be like him in then being silent for the rest of your days as far as following Jesus. We have a different character though, Simon of Cyrene who carries the cross of Christ. It says, a certain man Simon uh, from Cyrene, which is northern Africa, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. He was there for the Passover. And they forced him to carry the cross. Now, the reason why we know this man's name and the names of his son, sons, Rufus and Alexander, is because they had become followers of Christ as well. That day when Rufus took up his cross, followed him to Golgotha, saw him crucified, and what we can now infer from the fact that his sons are mentioned and Rufus again is mentioned in Romans 16 is that this man and his family, Rufus, it says, also and his mother, they became followers of Christ. They took up, well, Rufus, I'm sorry, Simon took up the cross of Christ, his children in tow, Possibly, but certainly he told them after and became a follower of Christ. In Luke 9.23, it says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. Why would he say daily? When you take up your cross, it's an instrument of execution. So certainly he wasn't talking about a physical death. It was a daily spiritual death. Paul says, I die daily. Thus, Jesus can say, take up your cross daily and follow me. Simon of Cyrene demonstrating physically that spiritual truth as he says, I will pick up this cross, associate, contrary to Peter, associate with my Savior and his death, soon to be his resurrection, I will follow him. And not only that, I will leave a legacy. And so Simon of Cyrene, you see that association with Christ, self-denial, at this point, he would have been have, having the blood of Christ on himself, the, the shame of following this crucified Savior, and then leaving a legacy. We are to leave a legacy. It's discipleship and evangelism, whether that's with your wife, with your children, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your roommates. If you're not leaving a legacy, as Simon did, there is a problem there. There's a disconnect from your faith and the fellowship you have with people. I write G-A in my Bible next to people's names. When people are designated, th- th- these are insignificant aside for, for him to say Rufus and Alexander. Like, because we don't even know if they were there, possibly. But why would he say the father of Rufus and Alexander other than the fact that those are people that you could go ask. G-A stands for go ask, when I write it in my Bible. These strange little things like Malchus, the guy whose ears was cut off by Peter, why write Malchus? I believe that those names were recorded, Rufus and Alexander, to say, go ask. Let me tell you, two people that you can go and ask about Jesus, about being a follower of Jesus. You wanna know if, Malchus's ear was truly cut off and restored, go ask him. Here's his name, go ask him. Symbolically speaking, there should be a G-A by your name in someone's mind. Your coworkers, when their spouse is diagnosed with cancer, when they lose their job, when the household is hit by trouble, when they're having questions about spirituality, when they have questions about the election, whatever it may be, or a particular position, there should be in their mind a GA for you, in your name. I should go ask him. I should go ask Freddie. I should go ask Scott. I think that guy's a man of faith. I bet he would know. That's Simon of Cyrene. The next one, Jesus, of course. Here we see him crucified. Laying down his life. No one took his life. He said that he laid it down. And just hours prior, he's in the garden, so troubled with the decision that lays before him to lay down his life that he's sweating blood. And yet he says, not my will, but your will be done. This is full submission and surrender to the Father. This is in contrast, stark contrast to Barabbas, who has been freed and released, That would be to have a savior, someone who saves you from your sins because we often want forgiveness from our sins but we don't want freedom from our sins. And then here you have Jesus on the cross in full submission. That would be lordship. Savior, Barabbas, the great exchange and then you have Jesus on the cross, full submission to the the father which is lordship. Jesus says, well it's said of him in Romans 6.23, It says uh, that he is both Lord and Christ, Savior. There's no a la carte Christianity. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, it's not all a cart. You don't pick one title for Jesus to rule in your life. He is both. He is Savior and Lord. So he not only saves you from your sin, he keeps you safe from your sin. And the way that he does that is by him being Lord of your life, you living in full submission to him. And then finally, the centurion. It's said of him in Mark 15:39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. That is high treason for this Roman centurion to equate Jesus with the son of God or a son of the gods, which is who Caesar was in his mind. A Caesar was to be worshiped as God. He was a son of the gods. And so for this centurion to say of a crucified criminal, surely Caesar and Jesus are equal, that this is the son of God, high treason, worthy of death, that centurion. And yet he lays that aside. He is compelled by the truth of the Savior that he has just witnessed. He is compelled to do nothing else but boldly and publicly proclaim Jesus is the Son of God. He is no crucified criminal. That is the Son of God. He is not a good teacher. He's not a good man. He's not a good prophet. He is the Son of God. And that is the call upon our life, as the centurion, to boldly po- proclaim Christ, even disregarding public and personal loss to ourselves. You remember the difference between Peter now and the centurion. Those are the two that you would compare and contrast. Peter with disassociation and denial and here the centurion witnessing this. Peter Peter likely wasn't even there. He had left at this point. We know that John was, but he's possibly the only one of the disciples that's present. So Peter's not there. The centurion is, and the centurion proclaims He's the son of God. On this last slide, I want you to look at this for a minute or two in silence. And prayerfully, I want you to consider this. This is not just six men. This is a timeline. This is a chronology of our life in Christ. As I looked at this passage and I prayed about it, I thought, oh my goodness. I have lived the lives of, of these men I, I once, like Caiaphas, rejected and mocked Jesus. Ten years ago, I said, "quote I hate Christians," and, and my friend was shocked by it and said, "What? Do you, why did you just say that?" Because I at that time would have checked the box Christian. I said, "I I hate them. They're hypocrites." Like, that's how terrible I had become. I used to mock Christian songs. I would I would. Insert the word squirrel instead of world and said he takes away the sins of the squirrels. Like I was, I was a fool. I rejected Jesus and mocked him and his people. I was Caiaphas. And then I think I was, I was Peter. I knew the facts, but my life did not reflect it. I did not associate with him. I did not bear fruit. And then like Barabbas, I think I, I wanted to be saved from my sin, but I did not want to be a follower of Jesus, Simon of Cyrene, a follower who would associate, who would leave a legacy. And then Jesus, and I know this side of eternity, we will never become exactly like Christ, batten a thousand, but men full submission to our Savior who is also our Lord. That is our daily role, Luke 9.23 to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves. My life changed 10 years ago when I began to understand the difference and that there is no divide between Lord and Savior. That's when things changed for me. I understood him to be Savior, but it's when I understood both of those that I had to live in full submission to him, with him as my Lord, because me being Lord of my life, I may have been saved from hell, but not in this life. I was leaving a trail of wreckage. I needed him to be both Savior and Lord. And then I hope, increasingly, I'm like the centurion. And not only am I saved and under lordship, but now I'm, I'm telling others. That's my desire. And I miss it. There were times when I was in Vegas that I missed opportunities. Some that I took, some that I missed. I, uh, when I was in Las Vegas, I was hiking around Laura was at the back of the hotel, and I, I went uh, to Craft Mountain, and I was hiking around this mountain. And when I got halfway on the back side of this mountain, which I never realized, like Las Vegas is actually beautiful. don't go there if that's a stumbling block to you, but there's like state parks and everything, And I'm there on the back side of the mountain. And I stopped and I was like, I don't think I'll ever forget this. It was just beautiful. I was totally alone with the Lord and reflecting on the beauty of creation. And then I remembered something Laura had said to me earlier in the week on our vacation. She said, so where did you stay last time you were in Vegas? And I was like, I have no idea. She was like, what do you mean? Where did you stay? What hotel? And I was like, I don't remember. I I don't have any recollection of even where I stayed. And in the contrast of not knowing anything about the trip back in 99 to this trip, where I think I'll remember every detail of being with my wife, the food we enjoyed, the beauty of creation in that place, the difference is this timeline. And that I didn't stay in one particular place, but God was moving me along that chronology. And so men, today, look at where you are. Find which person you are on this timeline, and as I said in the beginning, don't stay there. Who you are today on this timeline should not be who you are in one year or even in one month. And so go to your group and say, this is who I am on that timeline, and here's what I need to do to move forward. Today, I recognize I'm like this person on this timeline, and I've got to move I've got to consider the claims of Christ and move. I've got to consider that he's not just my savior, he's my Lord and move. I've got to consider if I'm leaving a legacy, I've got to move to boldly and publicly proclaiming him. See who you are, tell your group and what you need to do to move forward and God alone will do that work. You can't on your own. Let me pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these men. I pray that this would be a fruitful morning, Lord, that this would not be a Bible study, but that as we look at Jesus and your word, we would be changed for your glory, for your kingdom, and by your power alone, that we would not be the same men in a short amount of time because of what the Spirit will do in us. We love you, Lord. Amen.